Breakthrough Real Estate Investing Podcast, Episode 17. Hello and welcome to the Breakthrough Real Estate Investing Podcast. We put this show together to inspire you and help you break through to the life that you want to live through the power of real estate investing. My name is Rob Brake and here with me again is the face of Ontario Property Pros, Sandy McKay. The How face. are you? The, the face. <laughs> the face. Well, I don't know. Okay. Well, we got, we got Kate in there now. Maybe she's a better face than me. Well, I agree with that. I mean, we do have the, probably more of the real face coming up later on in the show. <laughs> what, that, our interviewee you're talking about? Yeah. Yeah, yeah maybe, I guess. Yeah. But for now, it's you. Okay, we'll go with that. Yeah, pretty excited for this one. Interviewing uh, yeah, guy I uh, see a bit too often, I think, but <laughs> maybe not. It's a good thing. Uh, he's got some good stuff coming up. Of course, we're talking about Mark Loeffler, and yeah, we've got a great interview with him coming up here at, uh, in a couple minutes. Yeah, but first, I guess we're going to talk about the free gift that we're giving away on our website, the seven freedom activators that you can trigger in your property starting right now. If you just go to breakthroughreipodcast.ca, you can download that for free. It's a helpful report that everyone should check out. Just some uh, helpful tips on on just really making your uh, get getting more freedom out of your investments. I guess not not making it a full time job managing all of your properties and and just how to deal with different things when they come up. Right, Sandy? Yeah, it's a really great report. And the other great thing about signing up and getting that free report is you get on our email list, and when you do that, you're going to get emails every time a new episode comes out so you never miss one i think that's pretty good i mean some people are subscribing and stuff to the show and everything but then you you know you get caught up in a lot of different things online uh sign up for the email list and you won't miss a a thing when it comes out and as well go over to itunes and rate and review the show if you like it let us know and let everybody else know that there's a show out there like this it helps us get the show out there to as many people as possible. So I just want to say thanks to everyone who has done that. Um, we really appreciate it. Yeah, you know, I've had a few conversations over the last couple months of people uh, that have been recommended to listen to this show or that have heard about it for the first time. And they're actually really grateful to do that and to hear about it because a lot of people out there are looking for something like this that's Canadian, right? And there's a lot of American material like this out there but a lot of that doesn't apply right to Canada there's different laws and regulations and so you know you're really helping a lot of other people by spreading the word and letting them know that there's some free content like this out there for them to listen to and and learn with us yeah yeah and a lot I mean hey you know what there's a lot of good American um, podcasts out there that you can definitely learn a lot from but there is some differences the information on this side, I mean, isn't as freely like I'm talking about uh, building lists and get generating leads and that kind of thing. It's a lot tougher on this side of the border when when you're trying to do that kind of thing. So, 
the advice that we give here is, you know, is really valuable. I mean, just go back and listen to, I think it's episode, what, 14, I think it is. Um, how to identify a deal. Is that the one? That would be episode seven tips to identifying a great deal. Yeah. That's number 14. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, go back and listen to that. I think that's one that's really helpful and there's a lot of good information on there for everyone. So if you haven't heard it, go back and download that one and then listen to all the rest of them as well. Yeah. They're all pretty important. We have great guests. I mean, I want to say thank you to everybody that's come on the show. And, um, you know, Quentin D'Souza, who was our first guest and helped us get off the ground. I really appreciate that. And Jeff Woods, Andrew Brennan, we've just had a bunch of really, really, uh, really cool people on here just sharing everything, you know, not holding back. Yeah, so it's good. Yeah, it's been awesome. And uh, we're not even. You know, we're just getting started, I think, with this show. Uh, we're not even, what are we in, 10 months, barely? Yeah, so, 10 months. Yeah, there's a lot of more, a lot more great stuff to come. I think we're just kind of just getting going here. So We're just scratching the surface. That's the words I'm looking for. I think we're going to have some awesome guests coming up into 2015 and beyond. So really excited about where the show is going. Okay, so we have another Michael Minute with our friend Michael Dominguez. He's put together a short tip segment for us. You can also find him on YouTube, uh, Michael Dominguez, Durham Home. And uh, here's another Michael Minute for you. Fire safety people promote changing the batteries and smoke detectors. Use your own time, the clocks are changing. As a real estate investor, it's your responsibility to ensure that the smoke detectors and the carbon monoxide detectors are in good working order. Most of us put that responsibility onto the tenant within the lease. But if there is a fire and the batteries are not there, the city will look to the owner of the building, regardless of the tenancy agreement. To cover your butt, create a fire safety log for each building you own and record every time you check the batteries and ensure that they're in good, proper working order. But there is an upside to this task. It allows you to enter your investment property twice a year and allows you to make sure that the place hasn't fallen apart since the last time you were in there. And if there is a problem, it allows you the chance to fix it. But while you're at it, this is a chance to change the furnace filter, do a water meter check, and do any minor maintenance tasks. Remember, these are your assets and you need to protect them. For more episodes, you can check my website at durhamhome.ca. This is Michael Dominguez with another Michael Minute. So we've had a lot of challenges, Sandy, with this property that you and I have just uh, joint ventured on last month. And today we made the tough decision to fire one of uh, somebody who was one of our, you know, one of our members of the, of our uh, renovation team. And that's kind of tough when stuff like that happens. It's never fun. And, and I, I certainly wasn't looking forward to, you know, facing that head on. But when, it, so we had a plumber who, who really wasn't holding up their end of the bargain. They, he knew how to – he really didn't know what he was doing. That's my opinion. I think that he knew exactly what he was doing, but he just wasn't really motivated to 
do anything. <laughs> so that's where that's where the real issue came up. And you know, it was holding up the entire job. We've got walls opened up, and you know, there's only so much there's only so much hurry up and waiting that we can do before we've got everybody else on our on our team and on our crew saying, you know, what's going on? We we need to get back in there or we're holding them up from other jobs that they're trying to go to, that kind of thing. And so we made the tough decision today to let somebody go and you know, that's never fun, but it's part of what we do, right? Everyone's got to hold up their end of the bargain at the end of the day, right? It takes a team to put these types of deals together properly and if one link is uh holding everything up then you know it's a business right you can't put up with it you know it's not an easy thing to do either because i mean i i called him and so you know i knew it had to be done and it's not the first time that i've done that but it's still a tough thing to do so <laughs> the good thing about this time is he really didn't seem too upset about the whole uh thing and so that took a little bit of the pressure off me, I guess. But so, you know, but I mean, it's, it's again, now we have to go and find the right people to take his place and, 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 and pretty quickly. Yeah, exactly. So it's a learning thing. And I mean, this whole, this whole renovation project has definitely been a challenge. This has been by far the um, most complex of anything that I've done so far. But we sort of knew that we were going to hit challenges and we prepared for them, which is great. But we didn't just, we didn't know what they were going to be. So as they come up, we're learning. And it's really interesting. We had to do a a waterproofing uh, exterior dig. And so that wasn't, that was something we had sort of anticipated from the beginning. We thought it might need to be done. We were hoping it didn't, but we looked into, we thought it was a plumbing issue. Turns out there was a plumbing issue, but there was also a leak uh, next coming in through the block foundation. So we had to make the, you know, decision to do that. And that wasn't easy either. But so a lot of these challenges are coming up and we're, we're, pushing through them i guess but it's it's interesting to do stuff like this right well i think yeah i think we kind of figured there'd be one of one of the two right plumbing or 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 foundational and it ended up being a bit of both so yeah you know but yeah like you say it's a challenge you work through it at the end of the day you know like you always say you could take uh a ten thousand dollar coaching program and and probably not learn as much as losing ten thousand dollars on a on a deal, right? So not that we're going to lose that, but no, we're gonna, <laughs> we're going to do quite well on this. But yeah, but I you guess it I'm is saying, the preparation. Right? Yeah, I do, and it's the preparation really, just anticipating what what might be what might become an issue and preparing for it ahead of time, right? So luckily we did that, and I have to say that a lot of that was on your side. So a lot of people might be asking, how do you, how do you not know if there's a, a leak? And I mean, there was so many different factors. This is a bank-owned property, and there was no eaves troughs on the house when we got it. We also didn't see any water coming in, but we did know that there was a major plumbing issue when we bought the house. But the water was also off. So 
and we did know that there was rain coming in from a certain spot in the uh, cold cellar where someone had put in a makeshift window. So we fixed that issue and the problem persisted. Not until we had a major rain did we see the uh, real... I mean, there was four or five different times when it rained pretty good, but we, we it took you know, one of those really bad rains for it to actually start coming in through the foundation. And that's when, I mean, that was about a month into the project when we, when we realized that we needed to get the dig done, which was funny because you and I had spoken several times just about the whole water issue and thought we had it figured out, done a lot of testing around the foundation and, and, you know, these things just come up. And that would probably scare a lot of people away, wouldn't it? I would imagine so. I mean, it it doesn't scare me, but it sure it sure is frustrating. But, you know, there's always challenges, and you just have to really be able to face them. Just face them head on, take care of them, and move on. Yeah, and keep going, power through, and then before you know it, uh, you're left there with a uh, pretty nice investment, actually. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing this one get rented out because, you know, we did quite well. I'm proud of it. Yeah. So coming up, we got our interview with Mark Loeffler, and he's going to discuss the importance of understanding the market that you're investing in. He's going to talk about the three most important steps a new investor should take to set themselves up for success. And he's going to talk about this 18-unit property that absolutely nobody wanted and how he was able to take that property and turn it into a great deal for him and everyone else involved. He's also going to give a little bit of free coaching at the end. (laughs) Yeah, so everyone stay tuned. Here's our interview with Mark Loeffler. And we're really pleased to have Mark Loeffler here with us tonight, and thank you for being on the show know you've been uh, really busy lately, and so I'm glad you could find some time to get on here with us. No problem. Glad to be here, guys. Okay, so Mark, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your business? Sure. Um, obviously, uh, Mark, uh, I've re- Mark Loeffler, I've written two books on investing in uh, properties. Uh, one, Investing in Rental and Properties, Complete Canadian Guide. The other, Fix and Flip for Canadian Real Estate Investors, with I, which I did with Ian Zabo. And uh, I've been investing for 11 years now. I'm a real estate agent that specializes with investors in commercial properties. I have a team that also does a lot of investors um, prop, investment properties with me. Um, I'm a family man. I got three kids. And that's what takes up about all my time. I'm running a half marathon in December too. A half marathon, really? Yeah. So what is involved in that? 13.1 miles. Nice. Yeah. 21.1 kilometers. So this team you're building, you got a couple of people that I might know on that team, right? Yeah, I don't know if I want to say their names. I don't know if they're going to be on very long. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, Sandy's been mentioning it and he's been talking about just uh, the different sort of uh, unique things that you guys are doing and it's uh it sounds pretty cool yeah yeah we i mean we do a, a number of different things from running investment meetings um 
to educate people to running uh, property tours. And uh, really, it's all about educating the public so they can become more informed investors and to have them, I mean, the, the, the more money we make them, the more money we make typically, which is nice in real estate. No, nobody feels like they're getting ripped off because everybody's making money. So it's all about. Yeah. So then now you talked about your uh, first investment property. So then as an investor, what made you decide to jump onto the other side and become a realtor? Well, I was doing a lot of rent-to-own properties. Uh, obviously, I wrote the book and uh, I was involved with a, a company that I sold but I was st- and I was still doing them after that. And I was looking at it and I was basically feeding realtor deals and I was doing 90% of the work for the realtors and yet they were getting paid more than I was on my rent-to-own deals. So I looked at that and said, well, I could just become a real estate agent and double my pay and not do any more work really, maybe 10% more work. Mm -hmm. So that's what I did and it kind of snowballed from there. Once people found out I had my license, they understood that I was an investor and I knew what I was doing. They asked me to start helping them invest in different places, Hamilton being the primary one and kind of just went from there. And uh, did it help you as an investor then, being a realtor? Yeah, well, definitely. I mean, one thing it did, and I tell everybody this, so I don't know if I'm out of turn. Everybody comes to me and says, why would I use you as an an agent? You're going to take all the best deals for yourself. And I always tell them, uh, no, I give you the deal first. I take the deals you don't want. And I've ended up buying, obviously, an 18-unit apartment building that was totally vacant. People, even some of my best customers said, you're nuts for taking this on, yet we bought it, spent a million dollars there, and refinanced and pulled out all our money in just over two years. And we have this great cash-flowing asset now that we have no money in. Uh, You know, I I bought hoarder houses. I bought uh, bank sale properties that we had to basically be firm that day and nobody was willing to do it. So I said, okay, I'll do it. You're finding the hidden gems, basically the ones that don't like the ones that to the untrained eyes don't really look like they're, they're much, or they require a lot more work than the average investor wants to put into it. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I bought leaning properties. I bought, I don't know. I buy stuff. (laughs) What did some of the basic numbers on that 18 unit look like? Uh, some of the basic numbers. Um, I mean, we bought it for six forty. Uh, we're in uh, just about a million dollars in renovations. Our gross rents are right around. Uh, I mean, we're right around eighteen to nineteen thousand dollars a month on that. Um, we just got a, a financing package put on there for about one point eight um, from CMHC at like two point six one percent or something silly like that. And uh, well, the best part about it is we, when we were, did the renovations, you know, people were nice enough to remove all the radiators for us. So we had to put a new supply of heat in. Yeah. And um, we, so we were able to take our tenants pay their own heat, hydro, and water. So our only expenses are taxes, insurance, and maintenance. And we have a great little thing on top of the building called Rogers Towers, and they pay basically our taxes for us. How did you get that uh, worked in there, the Rogers, or was it, it just was, there? It, it was just there. 
It was just uh, there. And, and, and I've, I've explored how to get it on other buildings, and it's kind of just a crapshoot. Okay, Mark, um, if you could recommend, like, what are, what are three things maybe that a new investor could do to set themselves up for success? Number one is get pre-qualified. Go talk to a mortgage broker who understands investment properties and can help you, help you determine what the best path will be for, I mean, help you set your goals, really. If you're going to buy one or 10 or 20 properties, whatever that looks like, they can set you down the right financing path in the beginning and help you understand that it's not all about rate. Sometimes it's about who, who you're with and what you can get next time and what the terms are as well. Uh, number two is I was definitely talked to an investment real estate agent, someone who owns investments and understands it and obviously is on the market for themselves and they're always looking for the best deals and can help you source those deals. And number three, just get out there and do it. The best time to buy real estate was 50 years ago. The second best time is today. The only, person, the only, time, only way you lose money in real estate is short term. So don't go with the short-term attitude, long-term attitude. You'll never lose money in real estate. So they should sort their finances out before looking at properties, you're saying? Definitely. Definitely sort your finances out before looking at properties. Okay. Who are you directing that at, Sandy? Just people in general. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, so which one of your investments has been your favorite and why? My favorite, I don't know, Property, properties are just kind of like a hobby for me. I just keep collecting them. Um, I don't know if I really have a favorite. I mean, maybe my favorite one's probably my cottage uh, <laughs> uh, because, you know, obviously. And it does provide some rental income, yet uh, not so much. Uh, my favorite rental property. I mean, it got, I mean, obviously the 18 unit just for the fact that I mean, we have no money in it. It's providing a great cash flow. And, you know, a lot of people said, a lot of people told me I was nuts when I bought it. And Yeah, just making that work and, and getting everything up and going. and Just having the vision, which I didn't think was very much of a vision. There was 18 units there to begin with. You just had to rebuild them. So but I, I guess to some people that's vision. So, I mean, a regular 18-unit building would be roughly $2 million. I know it depends, but I'm... Like, I mean, it depends. In Hamilton, you can buy something from anywhere from, say, $1.4 million to whatever, $2.2 million. I got to think our valuation is probably around two point six to two point eight on our building based on like a six, six and a quarter cap, which I think we'd get on a new, newer property, so... Mm-hmm. Tell us about a challenge or, or any challenges that you've had during your career as an investor and how you've overcome them. Challenges. There must have been some challenges with the, that property or something. Oh, yeah, there were challenges with that property. Yet, I mean, I don't. most of the challenges come from impatient money or impa- so impatient uh, joint venture partners. Mm-hmm. Like that's the one thing in real estate is it, it's a patience game. A lot of times, uh, and, and my biggest frustration in, in real estate investment is 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 my it's some of my partners, and you know I, I've 
because of that, I, I've moved on from some of them from my early career. I, I don't really work with them anymore. And yet I've had some partners for 11 years and we work great together because we're both, we're all patient around it. And I'd rather take the long-term approach and, and keep equity in and, and build something. So going from that, if you were, obviously you've learned something from that and how you choose your partners, how would you recommend someone goes about doing that for themselves if they're looking to JV with someone? So I guess, I mean, a lot of it was my fault at the beginning because I was, I was telling people like expect return of capital within two years. And now I tell them it's, we're doing a longer term play. And I mean, look to look to have your capital back in five to seven years, maybe seven to 10 years, depending on the, on the project. Hey, and if you get it back quicker, all the better yet. Don't count on that, on that. So I just said it's more about me setting the expectations than um, than my partners. I, I mean, some of the partners wouldn't have been my partners then. Yeah, I mean that's okay. Mm-hmm. How do you find your partners? Uh, networking events a lot. Um, I get a lot of people referred to me. A lot of people come to me as JV partners and I just turn them into straight clients because uh, it's just not like it wouldn't work for us. Um, I mean, as there's obviously, you know, different personalities work well together and, you know, I, I need I, I work with some different personalities better than others. Uh, but I mean, to find them, I, I just I just network and just talk to people, to be honest with you. And I turn most of my JV partners into clients now. Mm hmm. So, uh, but you'd probably recommend that uh, partnering up and JVing with people is a pretty good strategy uh, to build your wealth, right? Well, I mean, let's look at that. I, you know, I, on an 18 unit building, I put in, you know, to start with $50,000, and that $50,000 in two years turned into mm, probably about $250,000. I mean, so in two years, I mean, I got 250% per year because I, I, I took the time and energy to put the deal together. And I still had a, a construction partner who I gave 25% of the deal to to run the day-to-days of, of, of doing that, and I didn't even get involved in that. I just put together the package. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it, it, that was a pretty good investment. So, you know, it, being the expert always gets you – it's higher higher return. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's your time and it's your ability to put the deal together that you get paid for. So of your joint venture partners who wanted out, like how many of them have, you know, saw that money sitting there on the table and wanted at it before, say, the two or three years? Well, the the, the funny thing about that is um, most of the time, 90% of the time when you come back to them with that check, or, or whatever, they actually tell you they don't, they don't even want it. They say, no, 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 go find another property. Right. So it's just, it's the expectation that I had set up from the beginning that I didn't set the right expectations. Well, I mean, I think it's that those, those people aren't looking for that kind of investment, I guess, and they don't really understand maybe what they're that they don't understand the idea of the the longer term money yeah. and and the wealth building aspect of it i guess well and they do yeah 
some sometimes they were just too impatient. Here, here's the one piece of advice: is never take some, it, never invest with somebody when it's their last fifty thousand dollars or their only fifty thousand dollars, because they're going to call you every day and worry about that fifty thousand dollars. Where yeah. if it's if that's five percent of their portfolio, you're going to get your call quarterly call with them, have your update. Okay, we're good, and move on. So I'm okay, looking so- for people who are diversified as well. I've met some very, very wealthy individuals, and they, the, it's not always who you think they are. See, they don't just sit out like I have ten million dollars in the bank. They don't sit out there. You don't know who they are. They're not in the corner on a throne or anything. No. Yeah. Oh, so you get out there, you talk to people, you you just start develop relationships with people, and then you get introduced to different people. It's taking other people out to coffee. You know, you meet somebody at a networking event. Hey, what do you do? Okay, why don't we grab a coffee and just chat about, you know, maybe talking about something. You know? And it's kind of just talking to everybody you know about real estate. Every conversation is about real estate. It becomes boring if some people will turn off of that. Yet, some people will be attracted to that. So, so what's next for you then? What's next? Obviously, we're building the team, and actually, I I really want to buy some land and build um and build uh, build an apartment building. That's that's kind of what I've been looking at right now is just building a new apartment building somewhere in Hamilton. So right from the from the ground up, find the yeah. land and and yeah, do it all. Right from- especially now in Ontario, where you can build a six story um, stick built. So wood frame, mm-hmm. so you can build it a lot cheaper. Mm-hmm. Uh, what attracts you to Hamilton? Uh, what attracts me to Hamilton? Or did Obviously, it just end up that way? You know what it did, yet here's, here's the thing. I mean, there's blind luck and there's blind luck. Um, I mean, I've been here about Hamilton for a long time, and you know, I, I had my own misgivings about it, Steel Town, blah, 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 whereas the reality of the fact is the number one employer in in Hamilton is health sciences and they're building like two or three more health science things. I mean, McMaster's building a new, um, um, like sick kids out there. Uh, there's a new teaching hospital going up on main street, you know, all, all these different things. And number, number two is actually education with McMaster and, um, Mohawk, which obviously leads a lot of renters. Uh, Hamilton has one of the lowest unemployment rates it, if not the lowest unemployment rate in Hamilton or in Ontario, uh, and their economic development office brings in jobs. That's what they're out there looking for companies to come work to come um, to lease there. I mean, and they have a plan for the future. Right now, I mean, their industrial vacancy rate is like two point five percent, which is unheard of, and they have that plan for future development for ind- industry and light commercial and. and you know, medium commercial in different areas, which they, they, they have that growth. Um, so they, they have that planned out into the future. And at some point they might even get some, some, some rail transit, some LRT, um, go trains going there 2015, that station's already being built. They're already building the extension line out to, um, Stony Creek and then Grimsby and Niagara later. Uh, so, I mean, there's a lot of stuff happening out there. A lot of good things. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of growth in just southern Ontario in general, I think, I find. 
Um, even over on this end, there's there's a lot going on. So it seems like um, just all of southern Ontario is just a great place to be right now. I agree. I agree. The, the one thing, obviously, why Hamilton, too, is obviously the, the price point's a third of Toronto. And you're an hour away. So, you know, I know par- people commute from Barrie and, and other places. You just don't get the same atmosphere in Barrie. Like downtown Barrie, compared to, like, say, downtown Hamilton, which is reviving, is you just – Hamilton has this great art scene that you just don't get in other places. It is a pretty major ta- city. And – you know, that's going to attract a lot of people. Mm-hmm. So I, I kind of look at Hamilton like Toronto was 15 years ago. You know, I moved into the junction 10 years ago, and it, it really does remind me of that. And if I could buy more properties 10 years ago in the junction, I would buy them all. Yeah, you'd be doing good. Yeah. But, uh, Hamilton's not the only place you invest in. What other markets and, and like, how do you really select a market? So I started in New Market, and I selected that again on price point. It was two hundred thousand dollar bungalows with a basement suite, um, and I was getting twenty three hundred dollars a month in rent. So that was good. It was cash flowing really well, and I could buy some properties that needed a bit of work and add value. Um, after that, obviously, I was buying a little bit in Toronto because uh, I lived there, and the rents to purchase price were pretty decent back then. And, you know, we felt we were going to get a lot of appreciation, which we did. And uh, I was out in Cornwall as well, and that was just a pure cash flow play. Um, Domtar had recently left the area, and property prices were probably as low as they've been in 50 years. Maybe not 50 years, but close. And we were just buying cash flow out there. We were buying fourplexes for $67,000 that had gross rents of... You know, thirty two hundred dollars. Yeah. Wow. So, yeah, and and then what happened was, without even us knowing it, you know, because of the proximity and, and the high French speaking population, call centers started coming in. The proximity to all the major highways and major metropolitan areas, like New York's not like maybe six hours away. Montreal, Ottawa, Toronto are, aren't like it's right almost in the middle. It became a distribution hub. So Walmart has their distribution hub there. Amazon has a big one there. Uh, I believe Costco. So there's, you know, they have a major distribution hub. Mm-hmm. What is Dart uh, Domtar? Domtar is a uh, like a pulp and paper mill. Oh, okay. So then they they took that down, which you know, kind of like Steeltown in Hamilton. Domtar left. A lot, a lot of jobs left, but what it did was it also took away the, the big stink over the city. And people were like, "Wow, it's nice here. It's on the river. It's you know, it's close to the U.S. It's close to Montreal, Ottawa." A lot of people who li- who work in Montreal actually live in Cornwall because taxes are cheaper. So, do you still own all of your investment, or do you, or all of your investments, or do you, do you like transition in and out of different properties as you move along? I transition out of dogs or things that annoy me. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, if, if, if it's, if it's, it's not doing what we want it to do or it's too much of a management headache or we just see too much turnover, we'll, just, <clears throat> we'll, we'll be rid of it. And you don't have any regrets about that ever? 
I sold one property that I kind of regret. I had finished renovating it. I was refinancing it. I took a bunch of prospective um, investors through and they wanted to buy that one. I gave them a ridiculous price on it. They said, sure, and they bought it. And I still want to have that one back. Huh. Well, that's what I hear a lot of investors say. The, you know, the only mistakes they've made is selling any of their any of their investments. Yeah, and I mean, there's different reasons to sell. Yeah, I mean, it served its purpose then, and it helped me move forward. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mark, you ever had a big aha moment, or like, what was something that, or even like, got you started? What was the aha to get you into investing or real estate? I'd seen, I guess, family do it. And be pretty successful at it, um, and just through property price appreciation and whatnot. I mean, they they done very well with that, and and I and then as I buy, tried to buy my first property at nineteen, and then I, I got in and I read Rich Dad Poor Dad, I read Doof the Roos, and you know started learning more about the numbers side of it. I love numbers, so that appealed to me, and it's. Just seem to be honest with you, an easy way to to invest to make money because I'm leveraging the bank's money, and it was something that I bought something at two hundred thousand. Even if I did nothing for twenty five years other than collect some rent and made a hundred dollars a month, and after twenty five years somebody else paid off that mortgage for me, I had a two hundred thousand dollar asset, and you know I was twenty five at the time, twenty five years. I bought one of those for five years. By fifty five, I had a million dollars in assets paying me whatever per month, right? Mm-hmm. So that's kind of what I looked at. Pretty easy. I just started collecting things. <laughs> so then, well, the next question here is, um, is, about, is about books that you'd recommend to the listeners. So I noticed that you, you said Rich Dad Poor Dad, but what was the other one you mentioned there? Uh, Dulf de Roos, uh, Real Estate Riches. He was the first real estate uh, or Rich Dad real estate advisor. Um, Dulf de Roos, he's, he's from New Zealand, actually a pretty interesting guy. Mm-hmm. and okay. uh, other books I would recommend uh, I mean obviously uh, Don Campbell's Real Estate Investing in Canada is a great uh, starting book it gives you some good numbers um, a little bit out of, outdated right now with interest rates the way they are but still pretty good um, other books I mean definitely get my books Fix and Flip for Which Canadian are, Real Estate yeah. Investors and Canadian uh, um, Rent to Own for Canadian Real Estate Investors uh what else is on my bookshelf here? Uh, Richest Man in Babylon. That's an awesome book. Is that OG's whatever? OG Mandino or something? Of oh, Mandino? Yeah. Um, or is that a different one? That's The Greatest Salesman. Oh, that's it. Okay. Yeah, Richest Man in Babylon. I forget who the author is on that. Um, oh, geez. What else? I don't know. There's so many books out there. Um, Grow Rich While You Sleep. You got to read that. I think that's a good selection for now. Yeah, yeah that is. And you can get a free audiobook just like the ones mentioned here when you go to breakthroughreipodcast.ca slash audible free trial. There's still something about having a book in your hand. I don't know. Yeah, I like it too, but who has time for that? I, I don't. I drive, I drive all day long though. So. so, I mean, here's the thing. You don't have time because it's not in your schedule. That's true. It's not in your schedule because you're not making time for it. 
Yeah, but see, right now I got someone else dictating me my schedule. I'm not, I, I I'm not free yet. So. Well, yes and no. There's always time. When I was when I worked, I used to go to um, I used to grab take, take bring my lunch, go to Tim Hortons, grab a tea and read, or go to Starbucks and I'd read. And that was just my downtime. Well, I have to take that. I have, I do have both of your books, and I have read them both. I like them. Uh, they're they taught me a lot, especially the fix and flip one. Uh, I did read the other one. I haven't done any rent to own investing though, but uh, it's still you know it, I've I've learned a lot from all the books I've I've read and Quentin's books that are really good too. Quentin yep. D'Souza's books. Um, yeah, so there is a lot of good ones out there. Yeah, there's a ton of good Canadian real estate investor books, lots. Yeah. Okay, so Mark, where can people learn more about you? I'm very Googleable. Just Google me, you'll find out about me, Mark Loeffler, L-O-E-F-F, as in Frank, L-E-R. So Google me, and you'll, find, you'll find my blog, you'll find probably three or four different websites about me. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. It's what, the Versatile Investor? Well, the Versatile Investor or Ontario Property Pros. I think I still have something under MarkLoffler.com. Mm. They're all out there. But Google me and, and you'll find, you'll find uh, the most up-to-date. Cool. All right, Rob, anything else? I think that covers it. All right. Well, thank you yeah. so much, gentlemen. You, you guys have a great evening. Appreciate you coming on, Mark. Right, have Mark, a good night. Thanks, thanks guys. Thanks. Thanks. See ya.